Welcome to the White Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. And welcome everybody to episode number 204 of Linux in the Ham Shack. They're coming fast and furious. I'm Russ, as you heard in the intro, Bill's over there. Howdy, howdy. And Cheryl will be with us shortly. So we're just going to dive right in and talk about people who give us money, right? That's what we need to talk about first. <laughs> Did you, is there oh, something else that you wanted to add about that, other than uh, that we have our first Patreon subscribers? Patreon, yeah, just, Patreon. Yeah, just, just a you know, obligatory reminder that you know we do this for you who are listening. If you think we're doing a good job, that's the best way to tell us. If not, just talk to us through social media channels and uh, tell us how we're doing. Absolutely. We do appreciate each and every one of you who's decided to donate to the program. It does help us financially keep rolling on. And uh, we'd like to encourage people who are donating through PayPal currently, if they have a mind to do so, to switch over to Patreon. And the link is probably all over the place, but um, you should be able to find us. Just go to Patreon and search for Linux in the Ham Shack. It's easy enough. And uh, just kind of quit your PayPal and go over to Patreon because it sort of aggregates all the donations into one lump payment. We have a better dashboard into who's subscribed and when they subscribed and what you're, what you're donating and all of that. Plus, it gives you a few more options as far as how much you want to donate if you, know, you are so inclined. You can donate as little as a dollar and as much as you want. And it pretty much just comes out monthly. And if you have a Patreon account, you can donate to many podcast podcasters or other people who are putting out content and then all of your donations just come out of your checking account or whatever in one bulk payment every month and it gets distributed among all the people you support it's kind of a cool concept there are lots of companies out there doing it but we chose to go with patreon so uh, if you want to support us that way that's great and if you don't just feel free to listen because it's always free to listen all right cool did you mention who the first three Patreons Oh, were? I guess we didn't do that, did we? <laughs> uh, the first one was John Spriggs. The second one was Steve Sainer. And the most recent one, Donald Gover. Oh, and Paul Griffith in the chat room, KA5WMA, says he's just switched, but I didn't check in the last hour and a half or so. So, uh, oh, Well, thank you very much. Yeah, fantastic. Awesome. Fantastical. All right, so let's move on. Let's move on to our amateur radio topics. And, uh, Bill, I know you want to keep talking about the ARRL, so let's let's go talk about the ARRL and all the shenanigans going on over there. Well, there's so much drama, controversy about the ARRL that it's just, it's almost, uh, it's almost hysterical at this point. So I entitled this, uh, the ARRL plays musical chairs. The incumbent AWR pre- uh, ARRL president, Rick Roderick, K5UR, he's been reelected by the league's board of directors for a second term. Everyone knows a Tom, uh, Tom Gallagher, NY2RF, I believe, uh, if I'm right. Yeah, NY2RF. The current CEO ha- announced his retirement. I wouldn't say it's probably amongst all the controversy, but, uh, you know, 
conspiracy conspiracy theorists uh, kind of point to that being the case if they're just kind of shoving them out. But the uh, CFO, the current CFO, Shelley, is uh, becoming the interim CEO while they do a search. The comptroller is becoming the CFO. And uh, <laughs> after that, I kind of like said, uh, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, I started looking at uh, all the individual positions and directors and vice directors and, and so on and so forth. If you look at it, most of these people are running unopposed or without opposition. If you were to make a little a little word cloud of the article, those words would pop up pretty large because it was mentioned multiple times that these people are running without any opposition. And I don't understand how people can be so upset with what's going on at ARRL, but yet nobody's putting up to challenge these high-level positions. So my comment here is to go back to trolling Reddit threads. Okay, thanks, bye. And that was from the ARRL. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. It's run by a bunch of lazy people. Well, you know, it's the same thing in government, right? Everybody complains about the government, but yet when it comes to getting involved, they'll they'll click like and share and 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 retweet and stuff like that. But when it comes to actually, well, why don't you go down to the office and sign up to run, you know, <laughs> run for office? Uh, no, no, I don't do that. Well, then shut up. <laughs> Your convictions are not that convicted. Right, exactly. <clears throat> well, we do so we, sort of lack com- uh, conviction and ambition sometimes as ham radio operators. I don't know that we're particularly government-minded, actually. No, no, but we look at the ARRL as if it is the governing organization of amateur radio. Crickets, uh, did, you, did you just die? No, no, <laughs> I have to find out where Cheryl is. Hang on. Okay. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden, it's like dead silence. <laughs> this brief intermission is brought to you by. Oh, just kidding. Let's see. Oh, there's some interesting Montana news uh, for those of you listening that have not just disconnect. Uh, Montana becomes the first state to add net neutrality rules after repeal. So our our, our famous governor. Hottie pants, as some of the ladies like to call him, <laughs> Governor Steve Bullock, uh, signed in an executive order mandating that Internet service providers with state government contracts to adhere to net neutrality principles, whatever that may be. It sure isn't fast Internet for everybody, because uh, even the fast Internet here is kind of kind of crappy. <laughs> so, yeah, so Montana's first. All you guys uh, live in those uh, second rate states. Just wanted you to know that. What other interesting article did I run across today? Uh, in and out managers. If you're not familiar with the In and Out Burgers, they're uh, they're making a lot more money than you think. <laughs> On average, they make one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year in California. That's a lot of burgers. What are we talking about? In and Out. Oh, In and Out. Yes. Yes. So order your double double and just keep doing it. <laughs> So, how did we get from the ARRL and their monkey shines to In and Out Burger? Uh, I was just reading random, uh, random topics. <laughs> <laughs> off, uh, I, I get these off of Hacker News. So, right. I like. I was just killing time while waiting for you. <laughs> cool. So, do you want to uh, like say the last thing you said again about the ARRL article, so I can not sound like I wasn't listening? <laughs> No, I think it was a good spot to, for it to die. So you can probably just chop it right there. All right. Good deal. I can't even remember what I said last. It was probably something snarky, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, it was something about trolling Reddit threads. So Oh, that was earlier, though. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I was saying uh, that the ARRL is, you know, 
is the governing, you know, that's what most people think. The ARRL is the, is the governing body of amateur radio. So a lot of people see that as that is the authority. That's where the buck stops before it goes to the FCC. So I was just trying to make an analogy back government, but uh, okay. I got you. Yeah. Government, laziness, ineptitude, <laughs> uh, spending yeah, exactly. too much money for things. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so very exactly. much like, like a government entity. Absolutely. Yes. Very good. All right. So we got another here, uh, amateur radio topic. We have, uh, one mode to rule them all. Uh, Michael Wells, G7VJR. Every few years, he posts a chart of, of mode usage over on Clublog. Uh, the chart he shows us in the posting that is linked in this uh, in the show notes here is the data from 2017, having uh, CW, phone, RIDI, PSK, and FT8 modes graphed across the whole year, time-wise, uh, with activity. Now, of course, it is smooth because of contests and stuff like that create huge spikes in CW and, and RIDI and stuff like that. So he has a 28 day smoothing just so everything looks more normal. So you kind of normalize the data. Um, and it's a really interesting chart. If you have not seen this, go over and check it out. It's over on the g7vjr.org site. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, uh, <laughs> It shows that FT8 is taking over everything. So out of the uh, total number of QSOs in 2017 that they had in Club Log, which was uh, 32 million for all modes, the number of QSOs made with FT8 was 4.8 million. So you know interesting what I'm stuff. Taking from this, it's yeah. it's a social commentary, is what it is, because it's just like the rest of the universe, and FT8 is like the ADHD of amateur radio modes. So that's kind of what it's coming down to. We can't be bothered to make conversations that last longer than 45 seconds. So FT8 is now perfect. Well, yeah, and it's, it's, it's easy to do. It's painless. It's, uh, you know, you get all these uh, people that are not really rag chewers and, you know, possibly introverts or whatever, and they want to get involved in, in using this, all this equipment that they buy, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, this is great. I mean, FJT65 was, was pretty popular, too. I mean, I, I don't think that was – that wasn't segregated out in this particular graph, and that would probably be more interesting to see where JT65 and JT9 were combined – across the graph and was it at the levels that ft8 is now and i would gather that it's probably pretty close yeah it could be it'd be interesting to see if there are some legacy graphs out there you could pull up and find out if you know quick digital mode contact type transmissions are as popular as they ever were or if ft8 is just so fast and so efficient now and so hands-off that i mean because you literally have to do nothing <laughs> yeah. I mean, because yeah. it's it's just like you click you click the con, you you click the CQ and then the thing takes over for you. It auto sequences and blah blah blah, and you're done. Yeah, interesting stuff. So uh, that's why I say one mode to rule them all. It it is uh, FT8 for now. We'll just have to wait and see if uh, something comes to uh, supplant it. Well, what will come to supplant it is being able to pack more in information into a quicker time frame. So if you could get it down to like FT4 or something, but still have <laughs> enough datagrams to have uh, a, a legitimate QSO, then yeah, you, that'll probably be the next thing. Yeah, let's hope not. We have an entire conversation in six seconds. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's exactly. all done by computer. It's computer to computer. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is interesting, though. I mean, I really think it's interesting, the propagation and what you can do with it. And, you know, a lot of these contacts that I know I've made over the years and stuff like that are on the border of not a contact at all. 
So it's just really interesting that we can use the spectrum at such a low level of signal to noise and still make a, a complete contact. So it does say a lot about you know doing digital modes. Another thing that's a little less technical about doing digital modes that's also nice about them is you don't have to listen to the noise from your radio. It can be, you know, you can do amateur radio in dead silence <laughs> or be listening yeah. to your favorite other thing, like music or whatever. Yeah, like open source music. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, All let's right. roll it open source, huh? <laughs> let's move, roll into open source? Yeah, let's do that. It's very, very smoothly segued. I appreciate that. <laughs> Which I totally botched up, so... <laughs> that's <laughs> uh, <right>. okay <laughs> a healthy dose of critical thinking is your title for the first thing we're going to talk about and this has to do with the the new exploits to the intel chipset and linus torvald's comments about them yes yeah so uh everyone enjoys a good linus linus rant and the best place to find these of course are on the uh, linux kernel mailing list the lkml and uh i was <laughs> Besides, you just gave away the punchline, but of course, everybody knows what it's about. Uh, just some of the comments he made. Uh, the title of this, A Healthy Dose of Critical Thinking, was one of the sentences he put in the article, which or his response, which I thought was it was really good. I thought that was really good. But uh, here's some of the other things he liked to say in, in here about these uh, patches and stuff. So he says, the patches are completely complete and utter garbage. And complete and utter garbage are in all caps. So he is yelling. And he also says, what the F is going on? <laughs> and uh, oh, here's another good one. I'm sure there is some lawyer there who says, we'll have to go through the motions to protect against a lawsuit. So, yeah, definitely indicating the litigation that a lot of people were talking about. And uh, his last comment was uh, in reference to the Kool-Aid that uh, Intel is serving up here. And this is the kind of Kool-Aid that melts your brain. So, uh, yeah, there's what the... Uh, Here's what the boss of the Linux kernel thinks uh, thinks about all these Intel fixes that are not really fixes, but yeah, you should read garbage. You should read <laughs> the thing that's in the in the notes if you're uh, listening to this. Definitely read it because it is a fun fun read. And down at the bottom, Linux or, yeah, Linux Linus basically says, you know, I don't know what these patches are that you all are putting out. Uh, hey Intel, but these are a not fixing everything, and b we're not even sure what they do because they're all garbage. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you already see that Red Hat is backed out of their, uh, you know, even allowing the microcode going out from Intel because yeah. they were dealing with random reboots and stuff like that on some of their servers and, and, and products. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if if Intel's just going to put out garbage until they end up in a courtroom, you know, it's uh, it's bad for the consumer at this point. So unless we hear something else from them, I would say, uh yeah. Well, you see what happens when you have a basic monopoly on things? We get all of this crap coming out and no one's doing anything about it because, you know, like the AMD manufacturers, they, no one really, I mean, yeah, you can buy computers with AMD chips in them, but no one really does because Intel, like if you go to Dell's website or whatever, Intel is always at the top of the list. And if you want an AMD, you got to go looking for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could build them. They obviously have the new systems rising and all that other stuff. So they're not out of the game yet. Um, but yeah, they were significantly reduced probably in the last, what, five years, six, seven years, something like that. The uh, AMD has been diminished drastically pretty much ever since the Opteron came out. They pretty much uh, went to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, I will say, though, that if you're in the stock market, you might want to start putting some money into some of the other chip makers. <laughs> Yeah, you know, with the uh, the rise of ARM and everything else that we're starting to see, 
you, you never know. I mean, ARM does have a similar, uh, I think they have a similar issue, at least with one of the bugs. They do because but, it's they've got technology licensed from Intel. Yeah, so there there therein lies the problem. Everybody has to do this. But they're always talking about we need an open source processor. We need an open source processor, and it's like yeah, there's going to be a hard time finding funding for something like that to even have an impact on the market. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Hell, hell, look, even Apple got out of doing their own processor for their PC or you know their desktops and laptops and stuff like that. I mean, they used to have the Power PC chip or whatever. Yeah, they did. And actually, the Power PC chip was probably better performance-wise than the Intel, but I think Apple made a decision that they were spending too much money on, you know, processor development, and it was just easier to go with the the standard in the market. Yeah, I mean, uh, their their boxes are all just reference Intel boxes. You know, once in a while, they'll have a integrated, gra- you know, or discrete graphics or something like that. But beyond that, they are just as pure Intel as you can possibly get, and that makes it really easy for them to code everything against. It was also great from a consumer standpoint because you could then run distributions like Linux on Macs because they were i386 and you didn't have to have a special build for the PowerPC chipset. Yeah, yeah. A little bit higher level if you're into that stuff. Uh, <laughs> there are there are some uh, discussions in there, and and the whole Linux kernel mailing list is always a always a good read if you really want to get down in the dirt uh, into the details of uh, what's going on in the kernel. All right, very good. And speaking of intel and running things on intel machines like windows for example but in an open source way wine 3.0 has been released and it is supposed to be more efficient a major highlight of the wine 3.0 release is a significant number of direct 3d 10 and 11 changes and these features include computer shaders stream output structured buffers format compatibility queries depth bias and more and not only that but direct 3d graphics card database has more graphics cards in it uh, the support for OpenGL, Direct3D has been improved, and Android developers can now use Wine built as an APK, proper Android app, so that's pretty cool. Uh, full graphics and audio drivers are also implemented. So the default Windows version in a Wine 3.0 bottle is Windows 7, and changes in the inter- user interface have uh, polished the experience. So are we still going to need Wine Tricks? or I don't know if you're still going to need Wine Tricks or not. This article didn't mention that. Uh, I don't know if they've incorporated. Sometimes those things get incorporated into the release because they're, you know, good things that augment the product, and then they just kind of get rolled in and become part of it. And I don't know if that's the case with 3.0. Yeah, I I haven't had a chance to download. I I did see the articles uh, out about it and stuff like that, and I hadn't noticed that my system had had taken an update from that yet. Matter of fact, uh, let me see what version of Wine I have on here. Oh, I don't even have it installed. That's probably why I didn't see an update. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not using it for anything either. I have the one machine that has crossover Office on it, and that's all I've got for Wine because I don't really run any Windows applications on my Linux boxes at the moment. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we could always run. Well, we'd used a crossover Linux, right, for doing the uh, N1MM install not too long ago? Yes, we did talk about that. That is great for that. I would like to try it with 3.0 and see how that works. I, I bet it's really good. I know a lot of these optimizations that are listed are for 3D rendering and graphics and stuff like that. So presumably for gamers, 3.0 is going to be much improved. They did say that uh, 2D rendering was also updated. It should be just faster overall, but I think this was uh, heavily targeted towards gamers or people who do graphic-intensive tasks. So the wine I have in this one, <clears throat> this is for deep end. They're still on two o two, so that's that's as new as version they have. So they have not put the uh, 
the latest, greatest in the repo yet. Yeah, I think the Ubuntu channels are a lot, lot older than that. Uh, this one, uh, I think DeepN uses like either the Unstable or Testing Branch or something like that. Kind of like a somewhere between stable and unstable. <laughs> so like semi-stable, maybe Mo- moderately uh, unstable, uh, moderately unstable branch. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, yeah. Give it a try. You know, never try a 3.0 release. Wait till 3.01 or 3.1 or something like that. <laughs> At least nothing mission critical. You know, if you really have to raid tonight in your uh, World of Warcraft or something like that, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't upgrade to Wine 3.0. Or, <laughs> or at least test it in some sort of containerized environment, you know, a virtual yeah. machine or something like that. Yeah, I think the last time I played around with Wine was was just for N1MM. I think I had tried one time to try uh, to, to do World of Warcraft on that when I was still playing that years ago, but... I gave up. <laughs> Ted in the chat room, W-A-0-E-I-R, says his is Wine 162. I think it's time to upgrade, Ted. <laughs> yeah, I think the last one I actually used on anything was like 1.9 or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, two is in the repo right now for deep in. I, I could check my other box, but I, I won't bother doing that right now. Let's uh, let's move on. All right, so let's move on to our Linux and the Hamshack topics. And the first one I had was just sort of a flash topic. I made a challenge on our Weekender, episode number 202, uh, a little while back to get folks out to use JT65 now that FT8 is taking over the world. And I, I went out and did it. I actually did get more than 10 JT65 contacts since I said that challenge. But my question is, I was using WSJTX 1.8.0 R8392 or whatever the heck it is, the latest version on the system that I'm running on. And if FT8 can auto-sequence, why doesn't JT9 or JT65? I mean, they certainly could. They're just they're just slower modes, but they do exactly the same thing. So why is there no capacity for auto sequencing? Seems like it would be useful to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, they kind of if you if you double click on the stuff on the right in your RX tab or your RX window, I mean, it does flip it to the next line, so it could auto sequence. There's really no reason why it can't. And uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a programmer, you could commit that back <laughs> and we would have auto sequencing in jt65 uh, there's absolutely no reason that the detection algorithm is already in there for for knowing what the next step is anyway uh for jt you know jt9 and jt65 uh, i would assume it's just probably a few extra lines of code to uh to get that to auto sequence just like the other one i presume that's probably true so i'm looking at the developers and i know there's a lot of them i think the list is like 20 long or something when you look at wsjtx there's a lot of people involved in that project but if any one of them happens to hear this project i think the next revision could have auto sequencing for every mode doesn't seem like it's that far out of reach yeah i mean they've already they've already let the cat out of the bag on the on the uh, ft8 so you might as well right <laughs> yeah absolutely all right so i just checked a repo for for Ubuntu, at least 17.10, and it has 2.02 as well for uh, Wine, just as a side. Uh, there's probably a PPA out there for 3.0 at this point, and then I'm sure it'll be dropping into the Debian and Ubuntu channels, probably after it hits like 3.01 or 3.1 or whatever, so once it's uh, better vetted. Yeah, maybe we'll get to 18.04 or something like that, get the LTS release, and they'll slide 3.0 in there, or 3.1. Right. And speaking of Ted in the chat room, WA0EIR, I was poking around looking for stuff to talk about tonight, and I found his application TW Clock, which is one of the things that he writes. He writes a lot of the uh, ham radio applications that start with TW. And TW Clock has an interesting feature that I didn't realize it had, and that is that you can hook it up to the transmit pin on your radio, 
and it will do CW announcements automatically. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I know Ted is in the chat room, so if he wants to speak to this feature, because otherwise it's just a clock. <laughs> but it has this one other thing that it can do, which I thought was interesting. So I'm curious why that's in there, maybe. Um, and if it's useful to you, then there you go. And TW Clock is about as lightweight as it comes for a clock application. Um, it actually just looks like three sliders, an hour, minute, second uh, slider. But uh, <clears throat> it, it can also do that. It can do CW announcements. So... <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't. Uh, I looked at it a long time ago. I kind of messed with it uh, today when I saw it in the notes, and uh, yeah, it looks it looks pretty pretty slick. Um, I guess uh, does the uh, does that uh, announcement work for like a, a WinKey or like if you have like the K1EL um, WinKey or USB or something like that, or do you have to have a just a pin straight pin out? Well, the documentation says straight pin, but I presume that you could have any sort of interface that would actually do like DTR high or, or activate a pin or something like that. So you might be able to use it with a sound card interface. And Ted says it's a world clock because you can look up time any place and it's just an auto idea. So there you go. Right cool. from, right from the author himself. <laughs> All right, so moving on, I found a couple other applications to talk about. One really br briefly, and that is CL Log, Charlie Lima Log. It's actually written by a German ham, and I forgot the call sign already, but you can look it up. It's in the show notes. And That's I, a bit dated, isn't it? Uh, it's It was actually updated last in 2014, so oh, really? it's not super dated, but it says it's... Windows, Mac, and Linux compatible, but when I downloaded the Linux download, it was ba or not bash, uh, DOS files. So oh, I don't yeah. know if that means that you're supposed to be using it under DOSBox or FreeDOS or something like that, and that's what makes it Linux compatible. But the biggest problem I had with it is I couldn't figure out how to get it to run because all the documentation is in German. So uh, me not knowing German, I couldn't get very far with this. But if you want to try <laughs> something else that's... Uh, fairly recently updated and you know how to speak german or at least read german then you might want to try out cl log the link of course will be in the chat room and let's see ted is talking about the cw announcement it says feed audio from line out to audio in on back of your rig already so there you go to jump back <laughs> jump jump we like to jump yeah there, i was looking at the the download files and there's yeah, a bunch of a bunch of exes and stuff like that in there for this, uh, <laughs> right? For this Linux program, they do give you all the source, so the source is there as well. And uh, I was just looking at the code. There may be some instructions in the code in German on how to build it. So yeah, you might have to flagship to uh, compile it. And I've never, I've never used that, so I'm not even sure. That's that. Is that something in? Do we have something in Linux for that? For flagship, I have no idea. How did you figure that out? Oh, I looked at the make file. Oh, I see. To do apt search <laughs> flagship. <clears throat> Definitely something I've seen before. Uh, yeah, I don't see anything in the repo, so <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just something that those uh, those Germans know all about. So it says flagship. Yeah, it looks like it all. Flagship yeah. is a multi-platform database development and porting system available for Linux, Windows, and commercial Unices. Oh, I see. So this is like uh, the old. Uh, DB2 applications or something like that used to be able to build where you just have like the form object and then you'd compile it into the app. That's right. what it kind of looks like. If you look at all these PRG files, um, they kind of just look like 
you know, kind of like database windows or database uh, screens or whatever. So, um, yeah, that's that's probably what it is. It's it's it was something to play with. It's it's interesting. It's not real complicated code. I mean, just from my cursory review of it. Um, but it is it is cool. It's it's released uh, under what G- GPL and lesser GPL. I think you had both licenses listed there. Right. I think the LGPL is because of the database component. So. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's 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 at least a, an interesting look. I was looking at some other loggers today. I was going to put in here, but then I saw you were putting stuff in. <laughs> so I was like, I'll hold those for the next time. So uh, yeah, expect a few more different uh, new loggers and updates to existing loggers to uh, to come out here in uh, in future episodes. And if you have a logger we haven't seen or talked about, please uh, please send us a note. Yeah, excellent. And I've also included, or I will include, a link to the flagship environment to the show notes. It's www.fship.com if you want to check that out. And finally, we have one more application that I was going to talk about. It's a Java DX spotter. What it is is basically a small jar file that you can download from the place where it's hosted. And you just run it with a JDK. You can either extract the jar or you can run it as java-jar and it will fire up. There are two different modes you can run it in. They're both explained in the uh, very succinct but you know useful documentation on the website. And it brings up an interface to the dxworld.com DX cluster interface, which includes like chat windows as well as DX spots and things like that. And it runs basically in a minimal terminal window type environment on your X desktop. And you can have separate windows for different parts of the information that you're looking at, whether it's two meters or HF, for example, or the chat window versus the spot window and so on. And since it is written in Java and nice and small, it will run on anything that is Java compatible, which should be pretty much everything. So it's pretty cool. It was written by K Ham, and I didn't bother to write down what his actual call sign is because I'm totally useless <laughs> in that way. <laughs> K0EMT is the one who wrote it. And I don't know if it's being maintained it looks like it was last updated in 2014 as well but of course once you get to a certain point things don't really need updates i guess because this is just a java interface into live data that's hosted somewhere else so i'm not sure how many tweaks it really needs Uh, but i did try it myself and it does work just fine does exactly what it's supposed to if you need another way to run a dx spotter or maybe you can embed a java window into some other application that you're using for dx spotting this might be right up your alley I'm not a huge fan of Java stuff. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Does it run an open JDK? It <laughs> does. That's what I oh, ran it Excellent. In. Yep. Good. 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 Yeah. I mean, you could do some other stuff, too. I mean, basically, what it's, it's pulling out the alerts and stuff like that, the um, announcements that some people want segregated from the actual spots. And uh, there, there are some, there are like multiple websites that actually do this in a really small frame where you could actually just create just web frames if you wanted like little web boxes and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it looks, it looks kind of cool. Um, well, it's funny because Don in the chat room asks, well, Java and small don't mix, do they? And then I said that they do, but after I got to thinking about that, no, they really don't because yes, the jar file is really, really small, but you have to have the entire JDK to run it. <laughs> you know, I guess it's not really that small. Yeah. And some people are just, you know, I don't know. I think people are, or getting done with java <laughs> thanks to oracle yeah i mean it it definitely is 
time is nearing its end for sure, but I'm not sure there's a technology that takes its place necessarily. All the JavaScript. other script. <laughs> JavaScript well, will rule everything. Uh, We're going to have your uh, big uh, JD Edwards and Boss applications and stuff like that will all be uh, Electron apps. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it'll take all the resources from your machine instead of just some of them. So Bill is forecasting <laughs> Armageddon. That's nice. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So that's all we've got for tonight, actually. I think we're going to put a nice little bow on it, but we do have the social media roundup to do. We've got a long, long one for whatever reason, but there's some interesting stuff in this one. So we'll hit the subscriptions first. We have Johnny Kinsey, Stephen Harp, Robert Pitts, John Clark, Dylan Angle, Bill Piotr, Charlie Brown, Donald Gover, Jeremy Hall, Brian Smith, Ronald Ike, Darren King, John Fotsky, Michael Jacobs, Todd Bowers, Paul Griffith, Jonas Rulo, Christopher Weaver, Doug Redder, Michael Connolly, Robert Doherty, Alan Wilson, Kevin Murray, Stephen Sainer, Michael Aiello, Robert Halliday, Robert Yerke, James Blocker, Wayne Carpenter, and Thor Wiegman. Whew! Got through it. For Facebook, we also have Ralph Schutz, Dirk Unversacht, and Paul Siegfried. For Google+, Plus, we have Dror Kobe. For Twitter, we have at Gorkon, at W1PAC, at Marius488-44319, though I suspect that's just sort of some random account. We have at N9MTK, at Scott underscore N4JN, at Bido15, by Doll15, at Step underscore IR, at Michael Farley, at Kevin underscore Pouse, at DEFCON 201 New Jersey, at DC Dontremont, at uh, Caffrey 92, at Stealth 2377, at VE3SKH, and at M0JNE. And then for YouTube, we have Keith Birdwell, Rich Harover, Jason Miles, Stephen Saner, Stephen Lang, Kevin Keister, Donald Gover, and Jeff Sauer. On the mailing list, we have OE6IMG, Scott Northcutt, DD979VET, Michael Farley, John Favre, Favre, something like that, and <laughs> Leslie Roblin. And we have merch sales from Nate Newell and Kelly Grant. So we got a Yeehaw. full long list. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's with the new store then? No, that was with the old store, actually. We haven't had any sales on the new one yet. Ah, okay. So I that actually was with, like, Cafe Press or whatever? Yeah, that's Cafe Press. Okay, yeah. Yep. All right, so we got the whole thing wrapped up. That's actually the show for tonight, but we can check out the chat room, see if anything else is going on there. It looks like there's a lot of chat actually going on in the chat room right now. Yeah, they're talking about CWIRC and CWCOM for uh, guys that want to connect to the Internet and send Morse code back and forth to each other through the Internet. I was, looking at, else we got? I was looking at CWIRC earlier today, and I was kind of wondering if it still worked, but I have not tried it, so I don't know. And that was actually what an XChat plug-in, so it may or may not be compatible with HexChat. Almost all are. You just have to like code the uh, the objects a little differently. Yeah, probably be easy to do. Um, I've written some Python ones for hex chat. I'd have to look at the code. If that's code's available, I could probably take a look at it. And I'm pretty sure CWRC is open source. I'm not sure. Might be a fun little project to write a hex chat bot or a hex chat uh, plugin. All right. Well, before we just start blabbing and talking too long, I guess we're going to go ahead and wrap this thing up here. So thanks, everybody, who listened live. Thank you to everybody who joined in in the chat room and contributed out there. We miss Cheryl this week, but she'll be back for the, well, not this week, for the next episode, which is actually on Thursday. So episode 205 will be our weekender. So make sure you uh, are here for that as well. It's recorded at 8 p.m. Central, just like all the rest of them. And uh, I guess we're going to get on out of here. So, all right. Catch you ne- <laughs> yeah, three days from now. So catch you next time. We'll we'll see you then. Seventy three.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. in the ham shack and the linux in the ham shack logo are released under a creative commons attribute non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license